Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're continuing a series that we started last week called Remember. Uh, Last week we looked at the story of Joshua and how uh, God performed these incredible miracles in Joshua's life, really beginning with the crossing of the Jordan River on dry ground. But what we focused on last week was how after Joshua came out of the Jordan River, he was kind of in this in-between place in life because he was in between the miracle of God, the Jordan River, and the need for a lot more miracles because he had armies in his future that he had to face. Uh, and so how, how, would God, or how would Joshua respond in, in this in-between place? When you're in between the miracles of the past and the needs of the future, and what we find is that God commands Joshua send 12 men back into that dried out riverbed, have them pull out 12 stones and set them up as an altar so that you will always remember my faithfulness in that moment. And we ask the question, what are we doing? Because I believe most of us are in the same in-between season. Most of us would say, I have seen the miracles of God time after time in my past, and I need the miracles of God right now and in my future. Uh, What are we doing in this in-between season? And the biblical narrative would say, remember and recognize the faithfulness of our God. Now this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to move backwards just a little bit, because last week we looked at Joshua. Today we're looking at Moses. But before we do that, we're going to start in Luke chapter 22. Uh, In Luke 22, we have Jesus gathering with his disciples for what we call the Last Supper. Uh, It's the the supper that took place on the occasion of uh, the Passover. And what we're going to do is we're going to see that this specific detail, the detail that it was the evening of the Passover, was uh, a very important facet of the evening that Luke does not want his readers to miss. And I'll show you what I mean here, beginning in Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 7. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave uh, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, what we find if we continue this narrative is they leave this 
Last Supper, they go into the garden to pray, and that's where Jesus is betrayed by Judas, where he's arrested, and ultimately, from there, he is led to the cross. Now, if we look at all of the gospel accounts of this Passover meal, what we discover is Jesus was aware of the time at hand. Jesus was aware of what was about to happen, and even in this moment, he says, uh, I've been looking forward to having this Passover meal with you before I suffer. So he knows exactly what's coming around the corner, but to his disciples, this moment likely just felt like another Passover meal. This is an a, uh, annual tradition, an annual ritual for the Jewish people. If you remember when Jesus uh, was in the temple and his parents lost him as a child, the Bible says that they were in Jerusalem because his parents came there every year to celebrate the Passover. It's just something that was so common among the Jewish people. What I want us to do this morning is go back to the book of Exodus and look at the origins of the Passover. If you've grown up in church, you're familiar probably with the Passover story, but there are a couple of facets of the event I want us to look at together that uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping maybe you've never seen before. A couple were new to me this week, so we're going to work backwards. Like I said, last week we looked at the transition from Moses to Joshua. Today we're going back to Moses. Specifically, I want to hold up one part of the story uh, of Joshua right next to the story of Moses. Now, a good place for us to begin when we're looking into the, the origins of the Passover, we briefly mentioned it last week, it's Exodus chapter 3, and Moses is tending sheep when he encounters a burning bush, not just a burning bush, but a bush that uh, is not being consumed, it's just burning and burning, so the Bible says he thinks to himself, I'm going to go see why this bush is not burning up, and when he does, God speaks to him from within the bush, he says, take off your sandals, the place you're standing is holy ground. Now at this time, Israel, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. So God says to Moses from within the bush, he says, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cries. I've seen the way they, they're oppressed. So I'm coming down to rescue them. And then many of you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the story because God says, I have come to rescue them. So I'm sending you. I heard their cries, I've seen their misery, I'm coming down, so I'm sending you. <clears throat> uh, Haley is, is our three-year-old girl, uh, she's our only girl, and uh, I've been told from time to time that, that I treat her like she can do no wrong. Um, I might be guilty of that, but uh, as she gets older, uh, what I'm recognizing is she can do plenty of wrong, and, and as it turns out, she knows how to press my buttons just as much as the boys. And one of those places where we see this, uh, one of those places that strikes a nerve in my life with Haley is if she's playing with toys or reading books or, or doing crafts, it's like she has to take inventory first. So she dumps everything, everything on the ground so she can choose what she wants to play with. And that's fine as long as she cleans it up. When it's time to clean it up, we say, you know, go clean your toys up. And usually she'll flail on the floor for a few minutes and say, can you help me? And uh, occasionally we'll help her. So we'll go back to help her. And, and what I've discovered is that helping her looks like her standing there with her hands in her pocket while you clean up the room. And she has this mentality that says, because I have asked you for help, my job is done. And it's kind of comical because she's a child and it's toys. But if we're being honest with ourselves, I've just described our prayer life for many of us today. Because the truth of the matter is we pray for revival. We pray for God to move in our schools, in our workplace, in our family. And God says, I've heard your cries. 
So I'm going to come down and do a mighty work. And you're going to be a part of this. And we're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I asked you for help. My job is done. But that's not how it works, church. Because the Bible says when God has a desire to accomplish something, it looks the same way it did with Moses. He looks at his people and he says, so I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you but I'm going to send you. So we wonder why we're in the schools. We wonder why we're in the workplace. We wonder these things, why we're surrounded by people that are sometimes hard to love. And the, the answer is, church, because we serve a God not of coincidence, but a God of providence who said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to place you here because I want to see a move of the Spirit. So I am sending you. Church, you need to understand you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not unqualified based on experience. You are not disqualified based on your past. You are, by the grace of God, just right for the job. You are chosen by God and you are just right. You've been intentionally placed. So what we find is God says to Moses, I've come down to rescue my people. Now in that moment, let's think about Moses. He's probably saying, yeah, that's awesome, God. Go get them. And then God says, so I'm sending you. And the Bible tells us that Moses in that moment laid out all of his excuses, all of the reasons in his mind that were valid for him to be disobedient to the command of God. And after God kind of rejects all of his reasons, Moses gives one last plea in Exodus 4.13. He says, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. Excuse me from this but send someone else. So what we find is the foundation of everything that God did in this man Moses was actually this man who didn't even want to do it, but he obeyed anyway. And I want to make a point real quick if you're taking notes that obeying God is not dependent upon how you feel about the command. You might need to write that down. Obeying God is not dependent upon how you feel about the command. If you know that the Spirit of God is calling you, you to do something, you don't say, well, my heart's just not in it. If this were from God, then my heart would be in it. No, that's not all the, always the way it works. If God is calling you to do something and you know that God is calling you to do it, we trust God, we step out in faith, and we obey God. So finally, Moses does this. Uh, he still didn't feel like it, uh, but he did it. And God said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go stand before Pharaoh and you are going to demand the release of the, the uh, Israelite people from Egypt so that they can go worship me. Now, a few things that God says to Moses in the following chapters uh, are not very reassuring in this instance. You know, we read this story and we have the benefit of hindsight. We know how it all ends. But again, think of Moses in this moment who has just been uprooted from tending sheep, a comfortable life and a routine life. And now God is saying, uh, I'm uprooting you from that and I'm sending you to stand before the most powerful man currently on the earth. The man who, if you look at him the wrong way, can demand your life from you. And you're gonna stand before that man and, and you're gonna demand, you're not gonna request, you're gonna demand that he releases his workforce, the Israelite people. Now let's be real for just a minute. Most of us, if we're in this situation and God is uprooting us to take this, this giant leap of faith, uh, the expectation, for lack of a better term, is that God is going to hold up his end of the bargain. 
The step of faith, if we're going to take it, we expect a favorable outcome. But I want you to look at some things that God says to Moses. He says, you're going to make this demand before Pharaoh. And then in Exodus 3.19, he says, this is God speaking. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Then in the next chapter, this is God speaking again. He says, the Pharaoh will not let the people go. And a few chapters later, he says to Moses in chapter 7, he will not listen to you. In chapter 11, verse 9, uh, he says, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. God is uprooting Moses and sending him to do something that God knows initially is going to fail. He says, by the way, after you do this, he's not listening to you. My second point uh, right off the bat is obeying God. First of all, it's not uh, dependent upon the command or how you feel about the command. Second of all, it's not dependent upon how you feel about the outcome. Because sometimes God will ask us to do something. He'll ask us to share the gospel with somebody. And before we do it, we'll go down this trail in our minds. I know that guy. And I know he's been to church and he rejected it. And I know that if I go share the gospel, he's going to say no anyway. So what's the point of doing it if I already know how it's going to turn out? But here we have Moses and God is saying, I'm commanding you to do this and he's not going to listen. But that's not the point. You obey because I commanded it. It's not whether or not you think it's going to work. It's the fact that God has commanded it. Church, your response has nothing to do with your expectations of success. You are obedient because he is our Lord and Savior. Not just our Savior, our Lord and Savior. Obedience, church, is more important than success. We have to understand sometimes that there is a bigger picture that we just can't see. We have to have faith that the God of the universe might know more than us. Tough pill to swallow, but it's true. God knows more than we do. Because what we find in the story of Exodus is every time God says he's not going to listen to you or he's, he's not going to do what you ask of him, he follows it with something like 11, uh, Exodus 11.9 where he says, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Pharaoh won't listen, but I'm working on something bigger. And sometimes all we can see is the immediate outcome of a situation. And God is saying, it's not even about the immediate outcome. I'm calling you to do this because there is a bigger picture. And I just want to say to you, church, in case there's someone in here who took a step of faith and you interpret it as being met with failure, that doesn't mean that you heard wrong. It doesn't mean you were disobedient. You don't know the seeds that you have planted. Don't be discouraged. There is a bigger picture to what's going on here. So Moses, uh, in, in his life, God begins uh, to show him the bigger picture because Pharaoh would not listen to Moses. So God began showing these great displays of power. Uh, we know them as the ten plagues. The water turned to blood, but Pharaoh wouldn't relent. He wouldn't let them go. And then uh, there was the plague of the frogs and the gnats and the flies, and he still wouldn't. And then there was the dying livestock and the boils and the hail and the locust and the darkness. All of this, and Pharaoh would not relent. He wouldn't let the people go. So then we come to Exodus 11, and God says to Moses, I've got one final plague. Uh, after this plague, he's going to let the people go. And he says, about midnight, every firstborn uh, son in Egypt is going to die, including the Pharaoh's own son. Uh, own son. 
But then to Moses, he gives them a whole new set of instructions. I want to look at beginning in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. He says, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. I, I love that God starts out saying that as this is, this is going to be how you uh, tell time from now on. From this moment of my deliverance will be the basis of how you uh, set your calendars from here on out. Then he says uh, in verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are determined the um, amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of their door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. After that, God gives them the instructions on both how to cook the lamb and how to eat the lamb. And then we move on to verse 12. God continues, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plagues will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then one more passage following this that I want us to read together. God says, uh, beginning in verse 14 of Exodus 12, This is a day that you are to commemorate. Literally, that verse says, this is a day that is to be a memorial to you. You are to remember this moment forever. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. On to verse 25, he says, When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down, bowed down and worshiped. I, I want you to keep that last line in mind. The people bowed down and worshiped. Uh, what we have now is we have something that is similar to what we talked about last week in Joshua. In Joshua, we talked about how after they crossed the Jordan River, God said, go back into that riverbed, pull out 12 stones, set up a memorial. And he even says, when your children ask you about this memorial, you're going to tell them the miracle that God performed here. And now we have God with Moses giving instructions for a Passover celebration, says it's going to last generation after generation. And when your children ask you why you celebrate, you tell them about the faithfulness of what God did. Now, here is the key difference in all of this. With Joshua, they are setting up a memorial to recognize what God has just done. He's saying, go back into the riverbed, pull out those stones. But with Moses, God is telling them to celebrate for generations something that hasn't even taken place yet. God is setting up a celebration that will go on for thousands of years. And in the moment, they're still slaves in Egypt. 
God hasn't even set them free in this moment. And what we find is the people don't respond by saying, hey, you get us out of slavery, then we'll talk. You come through for me, then we'll talk. No, the Bible says that they responded to the very promise of God by bowing down and worshiping God. He hasn't even done it yet, and they are worshiping him for it simply because he promised it. There is actually a Hebrew word uh, for what's taking place here. It's a word for praise. There are, uh, I think, eight or so different words for praise in the Hebrew language. This one is todah, and it's a word that, that can mean praising God for things that haven't come to pass yet. This is one of the things that David was known for when he was imprisoned by the Philistines at one point. He was praising God for his deliverance even while he was imprisoned. You don't have to wait for God to come through for your situation in life to begin praising Him for the freedom you'll experience, praising Him for the salvation you'll experience. It's called praising God for things that haven't even come to fruition yet simply because you know the faithfulness of God. And if God has made this promise to you, you can start praising Him now and you can start worshiping Him now because we serve a faithful God. Now, if we go back to Moses... Uh, they would celebrate this Passover meal from then on for thousands of years. And they would celebrate with this Passover meal. A part of that would be eating the unleavened bread and drinking the wine. And each time they did this, it was about remembering what God had done in Egypt until the night Jesus was betrayed. Because the Bible says that Jesus gathered with his disciples that night for the Passover meal, and they're celebrating Passover together. This meal that has historically looked back upon the, the time of the Egyptians. And Jesus says something to them in Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We don't understand how bold that statement was, but it ranks, ranks pretty high with his most bold statements in his lifetime because Jesus is saying that meal that you've been taking part in for thousands of years to remember God's, God's deliverance of the past, from now on, you'll remember me. From, from now on, it's going to be about me. So for thousands of years, they had recognized in that moment God's past salvation but from here on, it would be about remembering God's present and God's ongoing salvation. And in both cases, the salvation was by the blood of the Lamb. <coughs> Renee, you can go ahead and come if you would. Uh, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to ask you to do something I always do because these can be a little noisy. So if you want to participate with us in communion this morning... Um, uh, what I would say to you is, is this is if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ... Uh, if, if you haven't done that and you don't want to make that decision today for some reason, uh, then this may not be for you. But if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open the elements and just set them aside for a moment. Uh, this morning as we celebrate communion, uh, we are celebrating by remembering God's present and ongoing salvation in our lives. But as we do, what I want us to remember this morning is the cost of that salvation. 
The cost of that salvation was the blood of the Lamb. The cost of that salvation was the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. It's a celebration because this is where the covenant of grace entered that we are under today. But it's a reverent moment because we remember the cost. This morning, I want us to remember the cross, uh, the, the cost. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does that mean? What Paul is saying is every time you partake of this, this meal, this communion, there should be a connection of remembering the sacrifice that took place on that cross. When I was younger, I was in high school for, for 9-11, um, the, the trade centers, and uh, I joined the military right out of high school in, in, in large part due to um, a response to 9-11, just wanted to serve the country. And I remember being in high school, and some of you remember this, when we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan and these wars were going on, uh, there was this ticker on the bottom of the screen that updated the deaths that were taking place daily. And it would say a thousand today, and then the next day a thousand and twelve, and a thousand and twenty, and it would just go up and up. But it was on this screen, and there was this disconnect to those deaths because I could just turn it off. And uh, when I was 18 years old, I, I went on my first deployment to Kuwait, and one of my first jobs, I remember, uh, is we would meet the planes that were coming in from Iraq. And we would begin pulling caskets off of the planes. Uh, sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. and We would have a ceremony for them right there on the tarmac. Just remember in that moment, something changed. Because it was no longer this disconnect of numbers on a screen. But these deaths were now impacting my life. And for some of us, we have taken communion so many times in our life. And the death of Christ is nothing but a story in the Bible. But the Jewish people had this way of remembering things in such a way that they re-entered into the very story. That they re-entered into the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ and remembered that moment as if they were there. And this morning, what I'm asking you to do is, is to connect 
with the price that was paid for you on the cross. Paul said every time we take of this bread and every time we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his death. We are recognizing his death. And what, what I'm asking of you this morning, and maybe this will be hard for you, is as Renee leads us, I'm going to ask you to take communion in your own time. But I want you to, in a way, proclaim the Lord's death. And what I mean by that is I want you to pray this morning to Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, and I want you to proclaim to Him what His death means to you. And maybe this is a moment of repentance for you of saying, God, I am sorry that I have never given it the time of day. But I believe this morning we need to connect with the reality of the price that was paid for your salvation. And this is a moment of celebration, but it is a moment of reverent celebration, recognizing what took place on that cross. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. So as Renee leads us, I'm going to ask you just to pray. Just to thank Jesus Christ for his sacrifice and to tell him, proclaim to him what his death means to you. And when you connect with him, that's when I'm going to ask you in your own time to take of the elements. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he said, uh, I urge you in view of God's mercy, when you consider God's grace and mercy, because of God's grace and mercy, in response to this, that you offer your lives as a living sacrifice. Meaning that in response to that price that was paid for you on that cross, we live for Jesus. We die to our pride and we live for Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that we will be living sacrifices for you, that we will have undivided hearts. thank you for the sacrifice, Lord, and I pray that you teach us, God, not just to be reverent, but to always be in celebration because, Lord, when you gave your life, you ushered in the era of grace that we live in today. pray as we go from this place today, God, that your, your, your spirit goes with us and your peace goes with us. I pray that we would be an excited people because we recognize the calling that you have placed upon us, Lord. Go with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I want to thank you so much again for being here. Uh, if you want to be a part of the outreaches, get a hold of me or Brian or Dave if he's here next week. 
Uh, those are the next three Saturdays. Don't forget your dish. Uh, if you supported the Swartz Fagers, uh, I got it that time, uh, with their, their meal train. So with that, have a great week, church. Don't go Bengals. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.